Thank you, Rob and Marlene. Um, uh, unbeknownst to you, um, you will you will be basically a living illustration of our text this morning as we look into God's Word, and that's always neat how God kind of arranges and orchestrates those things. Um, before we turn to God's Word this morning, I want to invite our ushers forward, and we're going to continue to worship, which we've been doing all morning so far. We want to continue to worship to the giving of our tithes or offerings to the Lord. Um, Rob and Marlene are supported uh, by Westwood Church and have been uh, for um, some years, probably 22, 23 years, I think, something like that, uh, when they made a decision to follow God's call to Mongolia. And so uh, part of our giving here and acts of worship um, go to um, families like the Bergs, and we're grateful, we're grateful for the ministry and what God is <laughs> doing through, uh, through them. Um, a couple of things uh, also, just uh, by word of uh, kind of uh, church family news, uh, our, our church has been uh, praying and, and working hard at that women's uh, ministry event that happened this last uh, Wednesday, and uh, we were uh, praying and preparing in faith, and God uh, met uh, met us there, and we are grateful for what was done. Uh, in two weeks' time, on Sunday, February, 20, uh, Sunday, February the 4th, uh, you're going to have an opportunity to hear a little bit about kind of what, what happened, um, and they'll give a bit of a, an update as to how God worked and, and met them there. So grateful for that. So mark that on your calendars, Sunday, February the 4th, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Also, this coming Friday, um, our men's ministry is having this event um, called a camp out or maybe a camp in would be better uh, a designation because they're camping in right here in the sanctuary. So dads, uh, for your kids, guys, girls, both, um, if you want to have a great evening and night, uh, bring your tent, bring your children, and uh, there's all kinds of great things planned. Uh, bring your earplugs too. Um, I've been. Um, my, my, our youngest is now, you know, off to college. But my, my son and I uh, spent several uh, camp-ins uh, in January. A lot of fun, um, and uh, you may want to uh, take uh, take part of that. Um, well, if you have your Bibles, uh, grab them. Turn to Matthew chapter four, and I'm I'm excited and challenged as we look into God's Word this morning. Excited because of how. Much I see uh, within our church family living out the story of Matthew 4, uh, Rob and Marlene really become um, a bit of a, an illustration for that. So excited about that, challenged because of uh, how much I know that I need to grow in this story. Uh, Kyle Eidelman, a Christian author, uh, wrote a book a few years ago entitled Not a Fan, and, and it emphasized, he's, he emphasizes quite strongly the difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ. So as we, as we think about the text before us in Matthew 4, um, we could ask ourselves the question, and I'd like to ask this uh, question of ourselves, uh, am I a fan or a follower of Jesus Christ? And a little bit of a provocative uh, question, um, and yet I think it really uh, gets to the heart of what uh, of what Jesus is all about and what this story um, that we're going to see is all about. So we're working our way through the, the gospel of Matthew over uh, the months ahead. We're looking at his life, his ministry, and we're looking at his invitation to follow him. 
uh, not merely to be a fan or a cheerleader, somebody on the sidelines kind of, you know, waving the flag, saying some words, um, verbalizing some, some convictions, but never really living them out. And this invitation is quite significant. And so Matthew 4, verses 12 to 25 is our focus today. Um, let me read the text for us, and there's a lot going on, so <coughs> pay attention. Verse 12, when Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee, preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases, those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed, and he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. And we'll leave it, we'll leave it there for today. A lot going on in this story. A couple of weeks ago, when we were looking at Jesus' baptism, we, we um, got this colorful picture of a character named John the Baptist who preceded Jesus and was preparing the way for Jesus, who was fulfilling the prophecies of old, uh, indicating that there was going to be one coming and that um, the one coming uh, would be also coming after somebody preparing the way, that being John the Baptist. And we got this, this colorful picture of John the Baptist, this, this rugged man living off the land, um, wearing animal skins, calling people to turn from their sin and calling them to reorient their, their lives on the person who is coming after him, which is, is Jesus. And uh, strong, strong message, rugged man, and yet boldly, unapologetically living out this, this call on his life to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. John had um, publicly declared or called out King Herod Antipas for, for his sexual affair with his half-brother's wife. So that's, that's calling someone to repentance. That's calling somebody from turning from their evil ways and turning toward God. John was sent to prison for doing that. And then at Herod's daughter's birthday party, he had John executed. Now this happened all in this region of Galilee, 
And we talk about Galilee oftentimes at Christmas, Nazareth specifically, as being a little bit of a hick place, out of town, backwoods place. And it it was, Nazareth certainly was. Galilee, though, itself was was a little more than that. Probably 200 or so villages that kind of were throughout the area, numbered probably 300,000 people. So quite a sizable population base. But but all of this is happening. The John the Baptist calling people to repentance. Jesus Christ coming onto the scene. It happens in this, this region of Galilee, which is quite um, spiritually dark. Like many regions today, not, not unlike you know, regions today. It was spiritually dark. People, people lived in spiritual darkness. They, um, they didn't know the ways of God or they had turned from the ways of God. And, and now people are being called back to following the ways of, of God. They lived according to their desires, but they were empty desires. So God sends Jesus into the world. And rather than going into the religious capital... Rather than going into Jerusalem, where there was all kinds of, of uh, religiosity and where uh, Pharisees and Sadducees would hang out and, and kind of was the, the, you know, the, the Abbotsford of, of the religious center in B.C., right? Jesus doesn't go to Jerusalem. Jesus, he goes to this region of spiritual emptiness, spiritual darkness, inviting people to follow him, to learn from him, and to model their lives after him. Um, one day, Jesus is walking beside the Sea of Galilee, and he sees these two brothers, Peter and Andrew, and they're casting a net, um, preparing to catch some fish out in the lake. And when Jesus calls out to them, inviting them to follow him, the astounding thing in the story is that they immediately leave their nets and they follow him. The three of them walk a little bit farther down the beach and they see two more brothers, James and and John. They're in their boat and they're preparing their nets with their dad. And when Jesus calls out to them, they too leave their nets, they leave their boat, they leave their dad, and they follow him. Now if you put all of the gospel accounts together, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these fishermen were actually not strangers to Jesus. They knew who Jesus was. We may look at this story and think that these are strangers, but Peter and Andrew, they had been John the Baptist's disciples. And when John introduced them to Jesus about a year before this event, they became actually quite familiar with who Jesus was and what he was teaching. And they knew that his was a different life and that his teaching was a different teaching. It's quite possible that John and James were with Jesus at the wedding of Cana, an event which happened well before uh, Jesus called them from their fishing boats to become fishers of men. You see, when we get into this story in Matthew 4, we're already into year two of Jesus' ministry. So these guys were actually not making spur-of-the-moment emotional decisions. They didn't know everything about Jesus, so they were going to learn a whole lot more about Jesus as they kind of walked with him. But they had reached a point in their life and in their relationship with him in terms of saying, yes, I want to follow this man. I want him to be my, my teacher, my rabbi. And this is actually quite amazing because of the, the business that they're in. 
You know, the nets that are described, they, these are large nets. These are nets that were actually dragged between two boats at night so they could catch a large uh, amount of fish at a time. Archaeology continues to uncover all kinds of amazing uh, finds in, in Israel. And one of the finds a few years ago was a fishing boat, a 2,000-year-old fishing boat at the, at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, and it was equipped with cooking provisions for overnight fishing trips, which speaks to a, uh, a sizable uh, industry. So James and John, they not only left their, their father, Zebedee, they, they also left several hired men. They, they walk away from that lake, and they're not simply leaving a recreational hobby. They're leaving an extensive Fishing enterprise complete with a big boat, several employees, their father holding the business account in order to follow Jesus. Now, for most of us here this morning, and for those of us who are watching online, we, we, might, say, we might say that we believe in Jesus. We have some kind of a, a, a conviction, a, a heart you know, belief in, in Jesus. And, and if that's not your story, or you have not arrived at that spot yet, I'm glad you've joined us. But I hope that even today you're going to be challenged with what this story has to teach you. Because it actually may contribute in even greater measure to having a more informed decision as to whether or not you want to believe in Jesus, like say the right things, hold some of the right things in your heart, or whether you truly want to follow him with all of your being. The difference between a fan and a follower. And for those of us who say we believe, we have to wrestle with what this story teaches us about following Jesus. Because this story is not primarily about a a story of salvation. I do not believe it's a story of salvation where several hard-working fishermen all of a sudden realized that they were in need of salvation for their sin, and they prayed a prayer, and they received assurance for their salvation, and now they were going to heaven. I do not believe that this story is about that. I believe this story is about discipleship, where we see Jesus bringing in and living out tangibly a brand new kingdom, freely going into the world in which he was raised, a spiritually empty, spiritually dark region we know as Galilee, and inviting people like these young men to follow in his footsteps to live out the kingdom mission for which he had been sent. So when we hear uh, Rob and Marlene and their story, and next week we're going to hear Dave and Louise Sinclair Peters and their story, and when we hear the story of the ministry to, to immigrants who have come from other places in the world and they found themselves here in Prince George, and we talk about and pray about the stories and the ministry of, of our downtown women neighbors, this is really, really encouraging when we think about what it means for our church family, but it's also challenging because of what Jesus is inviting us to. So thinking about the question, that I posed at the outset, am I a fan or a follower, where do you begin? 
if you want to be a follower of Jesus, you want to move beyond just saying the right things, holding the right heart convictions, but not necessarily really putting feet to it, not knowing what it looks like, where do you begin in bringing about this this mission of being light to the world and bringing light to the world? Not Not just a fan who cheers Jesus on but doesn't get into the game, not just a silent partner supporting through a monthly tithe check but not going beyond, but a follower in the way that this story describes. Because this story both invites and it challenges us in very, very large ways. I want to lift out three really significant invitations and challenges. And I think the first one really is quite, quite profound and hopefully it surprises you but also encourages you. If you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you want to move from being a fan to a follower, you need to give Jesus who you are right now, and you need to let him use you according to his plan. One of the great things that I love about this story is the incredible ordinariness of these, these first century disciples. Jesus calls these, these young men, fishermen, Blue-collar in every way. And the, the, the Jews around them, those first-century religious folks, they would have so struggled with this. They had an impossible uh, time imagining that the Messiah of the world could be uh, born into a region like Galilee, this spiritually empty, dark place, like not even Jerusalem. Born to a lonely or lowly teenage couple in a cave-like barn in Bethlehem. No, they wanted something bigger. They wanted something more grand, more pizzazz. Jewish rabbis, they came with education. They came with all kinds of stuff behind their name. Intelligence, the ability to reason and teach. It would have been so incredible for, for, for those first century Jews to understand the kind of followers that Jesus wanted, was inviting into his world. Fishermen, tax collectors, farmers, ordinary people all over the social spectrum. And yet, these are the folks whom Jesus called to learn from him, to follow him, to serve with him, so that the course of history would be changed forever. You know, some, some 35 years ago, um, you know, growing up in southern Manitoba, on a farm, I offered my life to Jesus in service to him. And over a period of time, uh, he, he kind of clarified that call and started to work on that call with me. And it, it led to a call to pastoral ministry shepherding his church. So many years later, I'm confident in that calling. I'm grateful for it. It's not the only calling, but it's, it's the one he's given to me, and I'm, I'm grateful I wasn't called because my grades were the best. I wasn't the smartest kid in the class. It was never about being the most gifted or, or the one at the head of the pack. Um, the truth that I've come to recognize is that God gifts those people he calls. So you don't have to worry about what you have or whether you have it or not uh, in order to follow Jesus. What you need to be concerned about is whether you're listening to Jesus' voice when he calls. And when he calls you to something, he'll give you what is needed to do the task that he calls you to. 
one of the things that I've come to appreciate since arriving here at Westwood is how many of you have given your lives to serving Jesus and to following him in the unique calling that God has given you. And many of you are experiencing great joy in serving him in that place. Business owners, truck drivers, carpenters, teachers, doctors, nurses, healthcare workers, homemakers, police and firemen, accountants, retired from a paying job, yet serving God faithfully. It is absolutely encouraging. You have to hear this. From my vantage point, it's absolutely encouraging seeing the body of Christ at work, serving him, responding to God's call in that place that he's called you to. For each one of us, if we want to accept the invitation to follow Jesus in his mission, we can do that right now with who we are and what we do with that right now is up to us. Jesus will transform us as we go, but he's saying to you and he's saying to me right now, Join me. Give me what you got, not what you think you should have or be. Uh, Rick Warren, a, a pastor uh, recently retired, he, he, he writes this, and I want you to listen to this. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was abused. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor, Samson was codependent, Rahab was immoral, David had an affair and all kinds of family problems, Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was reluctant, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric to say the least, Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered, Martha worried a lot, the Samaritan woman had several failed marriages, Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts, Paul had poor health, and Timothy was timid. That's quite a variety of misfits, but God used each of them in his service. He will use you too, if you stop making excuses. You see, following Jesus as his disciple begins by giving Jesus who you are and allowing him to mold you into the person he wants you to become. You can stop making excuses about not being this or that or about lacking this or that. Like, we could do that forever. But that's not going to get you off the, the bench following Jesus. He's going to use you, and he wants to use you with what you have right now. And when you do that, he will start the work. Trust me. He'll start the work of, of shaping and molding you in a lifelong process. Now, if Jesus calls you to put aside what you're presently doing to follow and serve him through some other kind of capacity like he did with these four young men, well, then the choice you have before you is whether or not you're going to obey him or not. But if Jesus says, I want you to serve me in business. I want you to serve me in the school. I want you to serve me with your children at home, in government, in the police station or the fire department, whatever your current situation is, by all means, do it, knowing that as you do it, he is with you. Because at its very core, following Jesus means 
that we place as our highest priority of our lives, joining with Jesus, surrendering to him in his kingdom mission of being salt and light in a spiritually empty world. And in our city, 62% indicated they were secular in the 2021 census. 62%. In other words, they, 62% of our city said they, they got zero religious affiliation. They've got no stated faith convictions. That, that's higher than the city of Vancouver in terms of percentage. There is plenty of opportunity to be salt and light, to be joining with Jesus on the mission that he came for. So that's where this invitation to follow him can begin. Have you accepted the invitation? But following goes further because as we kind of look deeper into the story, it also is an invitation to surrender everything you have. Right? So it's true that Jesus called these four young men in their ordinariness to follow him. And it's true that Jesus does use you, can use you in the place in which you find yourself. But but following him goes deeper where, where he may ask us to surrender that which we are and that which we have in order to obey his calling in our lives. Consider the, the, the story. Four young guys left a whole lot in order to follow Jesus. A livelihood that they may have liked because Jesus asked them to. Probably some social circles related to their vocation. We know that James and John left the family business, probably altered some relationships within uh, mom and dad and maybe some siblings. When we think about it, it's kind of hard to imagine giving up that which we may enjoy or have worked for. Like, God wouldn't ask me to give up my vocation. I went to school for it. I've worked hard for it. I kind of like what I do. Well, he might... Not my home, would he? Would God call me to give up my, my home, my physical home? I like my home. Would God call me to, to surrender my, my financial assets, the stuff that I've worked hard for to get to where I am today? Like, would he do that? What about my family? Would he call me away from my family and my friends to another province, to another country, to another continent? Would he really do that? Well, Rob and Marlene took their five kids and teenagers to Mongolia. They continue to serve there, but as you heard, part of their story, they, their kids and grandkids are here. That's a sacrifice. I'm guessing there have been some hard moments along the journey where they probably have wondered whether or not it would have been easier to stay in Prince George. So when I hear stories like that, I know that I have much to learn, even though I've had to wrestle with some of these things myself. Are we willing to surrender those things that are very, very close to us in order to follow Jesus because that's where he's pointing, because that's where he's inviting us to. That's, that's really a heart, a heart question. And then Jesus' invitation goes even further still, and it's really about going the distance with him. You know, one, one, of, the, um, one of the things 
that you know we haven't really touched on in this story, but as you dig deeper, and won't spend a whole lot of time here, we see the crowds who are impacted by Jesus. Like the crowds were, the crowds were big. Matthew says Jesus went around, he was teaching, he was preaching, he's healing among the people. The news spreads, and the people come. All the diseases, all the illnesses of the day, and they're bringing their family members and they're bringing their friends all at the foot of of Jesus, and Jesus heals them all. No questions asked, maybe a few waiting lines, right? But there's immediate results. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Well, if the region had 300,000 people, there probably was several thousand people listening to Jesus on this, this day, waiting to be healed from their various afflictions. And, and the Bible says that Jesus healed every single disease among the people. And those crowds, they followed Jesus enthusiastically for a while. But in three short years, and actually after this story, probably only two, the large crowds became quite thin. By year three of the ministry, m- m- most people are they're, they're either antagonistic or they're indifferent towards Jesus. So they go from chasing after him to fix their, their broken and their diseased lives to shouting curses on him, to disbelieving him while he hangs on a cross to die for their sin. All in a span of a couple of years. All those who are miraculously healed People who had experienced personally this this news of of the new kingdom, a new way to live that Jesus brought into this spiritually dark world where light and life could be experienced and blessing lived out. Many of those same people were not interested one, two years later. Amazing. Amazing how quickly things can change. But is that situation any different than ours? than yours, than mine, than those people that we know in our world? Many people say, yeah, Jesus, I believe. I, you know, I, I, I've said some things. I've prayed a prayer. I receive you into my life. Please forgive me for my sin. Help me to walk in the newness of life that you offer me. And then the temptation to grab what the world holds and, and we're gone. And life gets hard and the Jesus stuff ain't working and we're gone. And family and other pursuits fill up our schedules and the relationship with Jesus grows thin and dim and the invitation to walk with Jesus on the way all of a sudden just kind of fades into the distance. You see, following Jesus is a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's a long and challenging journey that tests you. And one of the things that this This story highlights for us is that when Jesus invites us to give him our very lives, who we are right now, whatever that is, and whatever place we find ourselves, he'll take it as we surrender it to him. He'll take it and he'll use it for his glory and our good. It's not about our happiness. It's it's about our holiness, and that's a real lesson that most of us have to learn. And yet he invites us in this journey to go the distance with him. And we have to get to the point where we actually believe that Jesus 
is the best rabbi, the best teacher, the best leader, the one who knows best about my life direction and where it needs to go, and that he knows better than I do. And am I willing to trust him with that? And to be able to say with the Apostle Paul, who knew this to be true, and when he wrote this at the end of his life, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So that's the invitation that Jesus gives to us in this story, and it's a huge challenge. So let me ask a couple of questions here for us as we think about this and reflect on it and and kind of figure out what God is asking of me. Are you prepared to follow Jesus? Not be a fan, not sit on the bench, not hold a flag and say, yay, Jesus. Not just, you know, give something of your resources, but really never get into the business, like move from beyond being the silent partner to an actively engaged business partner with Jesus in his mission? Are you prepared to follow him? Second question you might want to consider, in what ways can you follow Jesus and serve him with the life that you've been given? Maybe you've, maybe you've not been doing a whole lot with the life that you've been given. And Jesus is asking, you know what? I can use you with the life that you've been given. You've been given a lot. Take an inventory of the resources, of the gifts, of the skills, of whatever it might be. How can you follow Jesus to serve him with the life that he has given you and that he invites you to walk with him in a dark world that needs salt and light? And then lastly, what things are you holding on to that keep you from fully following Jesus? Spend some time thinking about that this week. Reflect on it. Know that that God loves you. Know that Jesus has a plan for you and that as his follower, he's inviting you into some hard things. But at the end of the day, he will walk with you through it all and he will see to it that it is complete on that day of Christ Jesus. Would you stand together as we pray? Lord Jesus, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you uh, go before us and you surround us with your love and your grace. And your love abounds in each of our lives. Lord, we confess that so often our ears uh, grow thick and dim. Our eyes don't see what you see. And so today we just invite you to to do a work within us that would um, press more deeply into this call to walk with you, to follow you in the way that you have for us. And so, Lord, I commit each one here to you and pray that uh, for each one of us, we would actively listen, actively think, actively pray about what you are doing in our lives and then seek to follow. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.